From Studio Nowhere, it's time for... Saka USA. Welcome to another edition of Soccer Talk USA. I'm your host, Mark Zeter. This is episode number 291 for the 17th of May, 2011. And we've got a lot to talk about. We've obviously got the uh, end of the premiership and all that kind of stuff. Well, not the end of it, but uh, almost the end of it. Um, but we certainly know who the champions are by now. And uh, some other news, about several news items to talk about, uh, some listener emails. Um, we've got the Portland-Seattle big match to talk about. And uh, a few other things like that. So uh, let's dive right in and uh, discuss some of this stuff. So uh, uh, let's start off with uh, some news from the EPL. I heard that uh, Avram Grant, the uh, coach of West Ham, uh, was sacked over the weekend right after, like within an hour or two of them losing their, their game. They were winning 2-0 and they lost 3-2. Uh, I think that was to Wigan, if I remember right. Um, so huge result for Wigan, and uh, Avangant gets the axe right after that, and they are officially relegated because they can't get enough points now. So the other teams are all like at 39 points now, so it's going to be really, really tight down there to see who else uh, joins West Ham. So bummer for West Ham. Um, uh, bummer for Avram Grant. So, uh, two teams now that he's taken to the, to relegation. So, um, not such a good thing on your resume, you know. Uh, let's see, uh, news from MLS that, uh, MLS Cup 2011, uh, will be at the Home Depot Center in LA. So that's interesting. Um, they seem to like having it there. That's good, I guess. I, I don't know. Um, I like it because it's near me enough on the West Coast here. I might be able to go to it. We'll see. Um, so, uh, well, let's talk about, uh, I got some, some, some viewer email, or listener email, I should say. Um, got a couple emails from a, uh, Sounders fan named Wayne. And, uh, for some reason I have to apologize for Wayne, cause he actually sent me these, um, the second one, he, he actually sent me last week, and, uh, I, 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 for some reason it was, I don't know if it was just showing up in my email program, you know, so, you know, you know, you have stuff sorted by date, and sometimes emails come through, and I don't know, I don't know quite enough understand enough about how the emails are dated, but I think, you know, they pass through different computer systems and the dates can kind of get weird. And so I usually, I'm used to having, you know, new email shows up at the top and this showed up like several messages down for some reason. So I missed it. So I have to apologize for Wayne that I didn't, uh, see his emails earlier. So I was reading this one that he sent me and then I read that he had actually sent me a previous one the week before, um, which was titled Welcome to MLS, and he was basically talking about, uh, well, I'll read you his email here. So anyway, this is his first email, and he says, uh, um, sounds like you had a pretty good time at the Timbers game. I'm a Seattle uh, season ticket holder, so a sworn enemy, but I was very excited when the news was announced that Portland was joining MLS. It was fun to hear the excitement in your voice when you talked about how you thought the Timbers experience would help change the face of MLS. He says, I comment on that because we Sounders fans have been saying that for the past two years. I truly believe there's something special happening in the Pacific Northwest that will shape soccer for years to come. With the addition of Vancouver, the excitement in this area is contagious. Uh, I'll see you in Seattle. I'll be the one wearing rave green. Uh, or maybe I'll see you in Portland. So thanks, Wayne. Very nice letter. Good to hear. And, and uh, um, uh, Then he sent me the second one, which is... Um, 
and entitled Feedback, and he says, uh, I like the show. I realize you are a Timbers fan and therefore hate, uh, in parentheses, dislike uh, the Sounders, my team, and I know the podcast is going to have some biased opinions relating to those teams, but your opinion on the Zakawani incident was over the top to me. I also listened to other soccer podcasts, including Around the League and EPL Soccer, EPL Talk Soccer from CSRN Network. They are mostly British and Canadian soccer journalists, but they sometimes chime in on MLS. Uh, each of these other podcasts commented on the Zakawani incident and were absolutely appalled at the Mullins tackle. They thought the 10-day suspension was not only fair, but maybe even a bit lenient. It was potentially career-ending tackle, and the defense that he did it uh, before, uh, but only got a yellow because the player saw it coming um, and was able to jump out of the way. It's absolutely um, uh, ridiculous. If you watch the game and it doesn't sound like you did, uh, you would have noticed that Mullen was, fou- was fouled seconds earlier, complained to the ref, but got no call, and immediately turned and maliciously went for the ball. Uh, Zakawani happened to be the one uh, uh, who had it at the time, or it would have been someone else. Um, if this league has any chance of attracting quality players and growing as we all want it to do, this type of play has no place, and I think the league did the right thing. Would you be feeling the same way if it had happened to Kenny Cooper? I doubt it. Uh, Google the incident, check out the message boards, and you'll see you are in a small minority if you think this wasn't malicious and the suspension was too much. As a sounders, sounder, I feel I am biased, but when most other people in podcasts see it the same way, it makes me realize I am not overreacting. So, um, well, I haven't done a First of all, just a last comment there about, you know, um, me being in the minority, me, myself, Mark, being in the minority. Uh, I'm not sure, I, you know, I haven't done a, like a comprehensive sounding of, of other things, but I will say I, I'm i not alone. I, I, I have heard other commentators, specifically I remember uh, Shep Messing, I was listening to the New York podcast, or the New York uh, game the other day, and they mentioned the Zakawani incident, and he was saying that he thought 10 games was, was too long, you know. Now, here's my thing on this. I'll, I'll just really read a little bit um, my feeling on this. Um, just a couple things. I mean, my, the main point that I was making that I thought the 10-game suspension, I'm not condoning the tackle in any way, shape, or form. I am just saying that 10 games I thought was too long. And, and the main justification I have for this is the previous longest suspension, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the previous longest suspension ever handed down in MLS was the nine games handed to um, uh, Ricardo Clark of the Houston Dynamo, um, who's my other team that I follow, and 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 that was, you know, a much more blatant, I can't remember, it's been so long now, I can't remember, it was a few years ago, and, and but he actually kicked out at a player while he was on the ground, you know, kicked on him. And so that's more like, you know, it's a talent to punching somebody or something. You lose your temper and you, you kick at him. You know, that's literally what he did, and it was outrageous, it was horrible, and it's it was out of character for him, but at the same time, he did lose his head and kick at the player, and he had to have a very, you know, sound uh, kind of a punishment for that, because we can't condone violence, you know, punching somebody or whatever, I think that deserves a very long suspension and, you know, severe sanctions. Uh, in the case of the Mullen situation, now, he's bringing up, Wayne is bringing up some other interesting information in terms of... of that it's been a while since I've seen the incident. I guess I could go back on YouTube and, and, and look at it, but it's, it's been a while since I've seen it. I don't remember the part about Mullen just being fouled. It was like two, two or three minutes in the game. So I find it kind of, you know, odd that something would have happened already that early in the game that Mullen would be so fired up that he's going to go and retaliate and, and just strike out at, at, uh, 
you know, Zakawani or whoever had the ball in some sort of malicious attack. I don't believe Mullen is that kind of player, and I've followed Mullen's career for many, many years. He's, you know, was on the on the the earthquakes and the, the Houston Dynamo, you know, teams that I followed and and supported. And so, you know, I, I feel like I know him. I know what kind of player he is, and he, you know, I don't even know if he's ever gotten a red card before. He might have gotten one or two, but. Um, certainly not anything like this. So I, I don't think the history is really there to show that, that he's that type of player, that he's a malicious kind of guy. I know that he's a very, uh, energetic and aggressive player. And I know that, you know, he, he, he tends to get fired up and be aggressive. And, and I can, you know, in my opinion, this was just a late tackle. I'm not saying that it doesn't deserve punishment. You know, four or five games, something like that. You know, to me, this is, this is a type of tackle. Uh, it's 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 in the run of play. It's part of the game. You know, you you get there late. You, you you're aggressive. You want players to be aggressive. You want players to attack. You don't want players being mice out there and being real timid. You know that type of thing. So um, I'm not saying that he shouldn't have been punished at all. I fully agree that he should have been punished. I fully agree that it was a you know red card and this type of stuff. Um, you know, I, I I fully support all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm just saying that I think 10 games, the problem that I have with 10 games is exactly the problem that we had, which was last week, which was the, um, the tackle against, uh, Morales for, uh, for Javier Morales for, uh, Salt Lake. Um, Monadini or whatever his name is, is getting a four game suspension for that. So I'm sitting here going to me, that was a much worse tackle. It was from behind. You know, with no chance of getting the ball. At least Mullins, you know, was, was, I, I still, I, I don't like tackles along the sideline, so that's probably my biggest criticism of Mullen tackle, because why are you tackling like that along the sideline? You're not going to accomplish anything along the sideline, you know. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate your feedback, uh, Wayne. I, I, I um, you know, I, I don't quite think it's quite as cut and dry as you're making it out to sound like everybody's, you know, saying that, that the Mullins tackle was, was, was that horrible. Um, I do have a friend of mine, he was saying that he, he thought it was worse than the, the one against uh, Morales. You know, uh, uh, I didn't like the Morales one because it was from, from behind, that type of thing. You know, but the biggest, the biggest problem that I have with this, I, I don't really have as much problem with the tackle and the punishment um, as I do with, my, my real question is just, what does this mean to the league? I mean, if, if the league says this kind of a tackle is punishable by 10 games, then that's what it is. I have no problem with that, if that's what the league says. The problem is, the league has already set a standard that if you punch a player or kick at a player, that's nine games. So when you just have a tackle that's part of a game, even if it's late, even if it's you know a really bad tackle, why is that worse than, than punching a player or kicking a player? I don't understand that. To me, you know, punching a player, kicking a player, that needs to be the really bad suspension. That needs to be, you know, a lot of games, you know. And and then, you know, tackles that happen in the run of play, yeah, you get a few extra games because it's, you know, you really want to crack that down and say don't do that. But so I'm just, I just find it kind of, um, you know, and especially when you have a player like Mullen that's not known for this kind of, he's not a violent, he's not a, you know, hothead kind of player. There's been a lot of players in the, in the league, like a Diego Serna, you know, <laughs> uh, Kovalenko. There's a you know, number of players in the league that are, are famous for getting, you know, multiple red cards per season due to their, their aggressive and violent play. And, you know, Carlos Ruiz, um, that, that, that tend to be kind of nasty kind of players. And, 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 
you know, I player like that, I could kind of see, you, you know, if it's the second or third red card of the season, or you do a really bad thing, you break somebody's leg, you do, you know, we're going to really punish you. I understand that, but the fact is, and, and the other point that I want to make about this too is, as I talked about in last podcast, was, you know, a week later, actually, it was a few days later, you know, the, the in the game against Houston, uh, Jeff Cameron gets tackled by one of the Colorado players. It was a, almost identical kind of a tackle. The difference was that that Jeff Cameron leaped out of the way and didn't get his leg broken. You know, but it was right along the sideline, right in front of the benches, very similar kind of a slight, you know, from the side, just taking him out kind of a thing. And the only difference was he didn't, you know, he, he, he was injured. I mean, he was bruised, but he wasn't, you know, he didn't have to come out of the game or anything. He didn't break his leg. Um, and uh, all this said, you know, I fully agree. I'm, I don't take this as I'm condoning Mullen's behavior or anything like that. My real question about this has nothing to do with that. I'm not, you know, condoning or, or uh, you know, I feel horrible for Zakawani and I wish him the best. He's one of my favorite players, and this is not a, you know, Portland-Seattle thing or anything like that. I mean, just as a soccer player, he's a fun player to watch, and uh, I, I'm just, you know, horrified that this happened to him, and I, and I don't condone this at all. My real question is just simply, what is the rules that the league is putting down? You know, what what type of what are the punishments we give for various tackles? So now, if if you know if a tackle on Morales that breaks his ankle is only four games, and this Mullen one is somehow ten games, and then the one against Jeff Cameron is not even you know it's just a yellow card in the game, and nothing happens with that. You know, we're setting a lot of double, triple standards here, and I don't understand that. I mean, then what happens when somebody actually punches somebody or kicks somebody? You know, a deliberate elbow, you know, you know, some real violence. Those have to be like 20 games now. Then you're basically suspending somebody for a whole season, you know, almost, you know, depending on where it is in the season. I mean, so, so I think somewhere the league needs to really look at this and set some standards and say, okay, if it's, you know, if it's a tackle in this kind of range, it's this kind of a punishment. If it's tackle in this kind of range, it's this, you know, this, this kind of a tackle. This kind of a, a situation, it's, you know, these kind of games. And I think right now it's very unclear exactly where this is all going. I just think the league needs to clear this up, you know, uh, uh, you know that kind of thing. So hopefully I've clarified that, at least where I stand on that. And, uh, you know, do appreciate your emails. And, um, you know, and, and, and just so you also know, I, I certainly don't hate uh, Sounders fans. I've actually been up there for a few games, and uh, I like all the teams. I'm not, you know, I tend to, I, I'm very clear that I'm t- I tend to be sort of biased. I have several teams that I follow. I follow the Houston Dynamo and the San Jose Earthquakes. San Jose Earthquakes a little bit less now that I'm not in that area, but, you know, the, the previous incarnation of them, I was a huge, you know, I was a season ticket holder. Then they got moved to Houston. I still continue to follow them. Now I'm in Portland, so now I have a local team to support, so I'm starting to get more and more into Portland. But at the same time, you know, your comment about, you know, uh, that you're a hated Sounders fan, don't think of that at all. I, you know, uh, obviously in the spirit of the game, if I'm at the game and we see you there, you know, we'll tease you and stuff. And uh, I think it's all in good fun. I don't take it too seriously. Um, Hopefully you don't either, but, you know. Uh, I love the rivalry. I think it's a lot of fun, and uh, you know, hopefully, you'll take it in that in that kind of a that that kind of a context and, and spirit. So, um, anyway, that was Wayne, and uh, just my thoughts on on his email there. So, uh, speaking of the rivalry between Portland and Seattle, and I just thought I'd point this out because I just thought this was wonderful. Um, there was a fan, a Seattle fan, at the game, and I saw this sign. I paused my DVR, I was showing my friend Julian, who came down to watch the game with me, and we were watching it. And I said, "Oh, I got to check this out." And this was hilarious. Somebody in the stands was holding up a sign, and it said. Real men pump their own gas. 
and I just died laughing. I just thought that was hilarious. If you're not in on the joke, basically, Oregon has a state law that says it's illegal to pump your own gas. So if you come to Oregon, uh, when you pull up at a gas station, basically they have full, they don't have self-serve. It's full serve and mini serve. So full serve, you know, they check your oil and wash your windshield and all that kind of stuff and it costs a lot of extra money. Uh, mini serve is regular price and they, all they do is pump your gas for you. And, uh, you, so you're not allowed to do it yourself. You have to, you know, wait and they come and they pump your gas for you. So, uh, w I've never been a big, uh, I me mean, personally, I love this. Uh, it's, it's great. I, I mean, why get out? It's raining here all the time. So why get out of your car and stand in the rain and pump your gas? You know, it's just a hassle. So, uh, occasionally it's annoying because, you know, you have to wait for the, sometimes you get a crowded gas station and there's only, you know, one attendant and you have to wait, uh, until they can get to you, which can be kind of annoying. But, uh, most time, it, the gas is actually cheaper here than it was when I lived in California. You know, it's about 10 cents, 10, 10, 15 cents cheaper per gallon than California. And they pump it for you here in Oregon. So I'm like, that's great, you know. But I still thought this was a hilarious sign and I love the teasing and I thought it was great. You know, real men pump their own gas. That was hilarious. Great, great job on the Seattle fan who came up with that. I thought that was great. Um, so anyway, I love that kind of rivalry kind of stuff. And, uh, speaking of rivalry, it was also, uh, Houston's trying to get, uh, Dallas rivaled up. I don't know if you saw this poster that was put up. Uh, uh, Houston's been posted on the internet in a number of places, but Houston put up some, some billboards in Dallas with a picture of two MLS Cup trophies. Side by side, and it and it basically I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. Now it was a week or two ago, but it said something about um, you know Houston two Dallas nil or something like that. You know to to, to provoke them into that Houston has two championships and Dallas has not won a championship yet. And uh, even the Dallas people I saw, I think it was Breck Shea posted a tweet or something about it that he was you know said said good job or something like that or uh, on Houston you know or well done or something something like that. I saw that I that I might be giving credit to the wrong person, but it was some Dallas person that said something about like that, and, and I thought that was, you know, that the concept is MLS and, and every, all the, you know, we like to stir up this controversy, we like to stir up the the fan base like this, so, so good stuff there, so, uh, let's see, another news, oh, oh, uh, other news, uh, I, I, I've mentioned this before, I have my, uh, my program uh, called MLS Visual Scheduler, which is a program uh, it just gives you a visual look of the MLS calendar. It shows you like a grid um, with, you know, bars for, for all the games that are happening coming up, you know, this month, in each month. And then, um, so basically you can see overlapping times. I use it for when I'm programming my DVR and I can instantly see which games are overlapping and I can make a decision, well, I can only record these two and this one here I don't care about or I'll try to record that one at a later time, or, or whatever. It kind of gives me, it's just a visual, it's much better than just seeing the dates and times on a chart. You know, you get a visual look at it. Uh, anyway, MLS apparently made some changes to their website that broke this. So I ended up rewriting the program. I made some changes to it. So I've got a new version of that. So if, you, if you've been trying to, if you've tried to run that and it didn't work, uh, recently, it's been working. It, it, I was worried that when we got to the new season this year that it would have not st would stop working as it worked last season, but it still worked. But then just recently, they made some changes and it stopped working. So the other thing that's interesting on a technical level, I won't spend too much time on this, but I actually made this so that um, the actual code, because basically what my program does is it actually looks on the MLSsoccer.com website. It grabs the info from their website and then puts it in a visual visual thing on uh, you know vi visual format for you. Um, but the problem is if they make changes to their website, my code can't 
parse the information. You know, if they make changes to the way that their stuff is, I'm looking for certain things that are consistent in their in their thing, so I can figure out which games are when. If they change that, my code breaks. It doesn't work. So what I did with this version is I actually made this version of the program. I'm hoping this works really cleverly. You know, but basically it actually goes to my website to SoccerTalkUSA.com, and it downloads the code, and then it processes that code on, it's basically a script. So it downloads a script from my website, runs that script on the the website for MLSsoccer.com, and then translates the results. So the advantage of this is, when you install this new version of the program, if MLS breaks it again, I don't have to create a whole new version of the program. All I have to do is update my script, and when I do my new, uh, I'll just update a new script, and you won't have to do anything. All you do is run the program, it'll download the new script, and and run. At least that's the plan. We'll see if it works, but uh, give me feedback, uh, bugs that reports if you have problems with it. But that's the way that should work, so that that way in the future, um, you know, if it breaks, uh, just send me an email, let me know, and I'll I'll, I'll just update that script and. And, and it will fix it, so you won't have to d- download a whole new version of the program each time. So, because I started thinking about, it, I'm going, it's going to be really frustrating if they make changes, you know, a little tiny tweak to their website, and all of a sudden it breaks my script. You know, so now I've got it so that it actually downloads the script from my website, and you, and, and then the program doesn't have to be completely new changed; it just runs the new script. So, hopefully that'll work. So, uh, one last fine little thing. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this. There was this documentary on aired on uh, Fox Soccer Channel last week called Blue Moon Rising. It was a 90-minute, without commercials, aired, uh, I think it started, I think it was airing on Wednesday last week, and then they re-aired it a few more times. I don't know if they're still airing it, uh, but it was really interesting. It was called Blue Moon Rising, and it was basically a documentary about the 2009-2010 season for Manchester City. So it was right after they got bought um you know, by the Arabs and 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 the the, the millions of, of dollars they're putting into it, and so we follow the whole Mark Hughes thing, getting you know era and getting fired, and and Mancini coming in, and and the ups and downs. They basically followed this small group of 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 rabid rabid City fans, and they went all the way back in history and showed us things like the last time they won an FA Cup was 1976, and they and it was really neat. I really liked this documentary. I liked the way that they filmed it. Did a lot of neat things. They had some reenactments, so they actually had like adult people today talking about remembering this game when they were like nine years old, and then they would have this little boy character, and we'd see him, and and then they would show cut to highlights of the actual footage of the game happening in 1976, and then they cut back to the little boy reacting, and then they cut back to the the modern adult, you know, telling the story of of how this game had such an impact on his life and everything when he was nine years old watching it and this type of thing and it was really really neat I really liked I learned an awful lot about the whole city united uh, rivalry and and just different things there it was really fascinating and and keeping you know coming from my perspective I mentioned earlier you know that that when I was in my response to Wayne's email that you know I, I don't take these rivalries super super seriously I think they're a lot of fun you know, you get to some of these places in England, I could see where they get really serious. I mean, you know, because um, these people, when, when you when you followed a team for generations and hundreds of years, you know, over a hundred years for some of these teams, and I could really see where, you know, you really get passionate about your particular team, and, and you can't, you know, you, you can't make too light of it. You know, I, I think... 
sometimes I think you know you can definitely go too far, and you know. But it, to me, it's just it's it's just interesting because I don't really come from that kind of a background. I've never followed sports, so soccer, you know, this this following of soccer is still a fairly new thing for me. I've only been doing it for you know a little over a decade or so now, and and uh, at least at the club level, and you know, World Cup, the first World Cup I saw was 1990, so gives you an idea of how how. Uh, um, you know how long I've been involved, you know, in 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 following soccer, which is not that long, really. Uh, and, and I, and, you know, so I, I really like this documentary. I encourage everybody, you know, to check it out if you can. And uh, um, I don't know if they're going to show it again on Fox uh, Soccer Channel, but you might also check with. Uh, I didn't check with Netflix, but it's it's possible that you know it, you could rent it or something like that. So, uh, oh, speaking of that, also another thing, I don't have a, a link to share with you, but if you go to Kickstarter. Dot com uh, Kickstarter is a uh, fundraising website. There's a, um, a, a the, some people did a f- uh, they're making a movie about Jay Demerit, the American international, uh, his whole story about how he came out of nothing and all of a sudden six months later he's playing in the World Cup, he's playing in England and he's playing in the World Cup and, and you know all this kind of stuff and so these guys they they filmed they've got the whole thing movie done they filmed the movie. Uh, the documentary. The problem is, they need to pay for the rights for the for the uh, music and for the the game footage because they have a lot of game footage in it, and they have to pay fees to use the game footage in their film. And so they can't release the film until they have uh, they have to raise I think two hundred fifteen thousand uh, dollars to be able to do this. And so uh, anyway, they have a Kickstarter project, which is a really neat website for for fundraising. Basically, uh, you know, you make donations on the site. And then what happens is if 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 they meet their goal, if they meet that two hundred and fifteen thousand um, dollars, for for how much you donate, you get a free gift of some kind. So like, you know, you donate like a dollar or five dollars or something like that, you get like a thank you. If you donate like twenty five dollars, I think you get a free DVD. You know, you donate fifty dollars, you get a Blu-ray. You know that type of thing. So you get a gift. You get so basically you're kind of. I would look at the twenty five dollars as basically you're buying the DVD. For 25 bucks in advance. But here's the cool thing I like about it. Because the way Kickstarter works, you don't pay anything until they meet their funding goal. So if they only raise 200,000 and they're 15,000 short and they can't make them, they can't release the movie, you, you're not out anything. So you don't have to feel like I'm donating money and then I never get anything. You know, you, you only will, will have to donate that money if they actually meet their funding goal. And um, and then they can provide you the gift that they promised they would do. So it's a really neat, uh, you know, a lot of these Kickstarter projects I've been following for a while. There's a lot of neat ones, but uh, I don't have a link for that one. I, I I was reading it the other day and I didn't uh, I, I didn't think about mentioning it on the podcast. But it actually is a really cool thing. I'm sure if you just go onto the Kickstarter website and search for Jay Demerit, you, you would find it. Um, but it looks like a really neat, you know, they've got a lot of information about. Who, who made the movie and, and what it's, you know, some footage. For, I think they've got, you know, a bunch of things about it. So um, I encourage you to check that out if you're interested in the Jay DeMeritt story. I, I think it sounded, it when I was watching this Blue Moon, Blue Moon Rising thing, I was thinking, you know, this Jay DeMeritt thing is probably going to be very similar where you get to, you know, get behind the scenes and see a lot of stuff. And, the, and it's, it's basically two of his friends of his that have been friends of his for years, and so they thought this would be a great story. So they started filming him, and they filmed him for over like a year, it sounded like, following him around all the way to the World Cup. They follow his, you know, his whole his whole trip and everything. And 
they're filming all that and you know made a movie out of it. So I, I'm really excited about it. I'm going to definitely uh, at least do the 25 donation, donation so I can get the DVD and um, you know check it out. So I encourage you to, to do that. It sounds like a great uh, project and uh, worth your time. So well anyway, let's talk about some games. We got a lot to talk about. So I, I'm seeing here we're already a half hour into this. So this is going to be a long podcast, but um, we'll dive right in and, and get started with some of this stuff. So we'll start with the uh, FA Cup. Final. Uh, I was actually pretty bored by this one. This was on Saturday. Man City versus Stoke City. Uh, it was actually a much tighter game than I expected. Uh, I really thought Man City would would pretty much, you know, they've got so much money and and, and strikers and and you know talent. You'd think that they would just, you know, I was expecting three or four nil, honestly. Uh, but there really were not that many chances in this one. It, it was boring. I wasn't into it. Uh, Man City, you know, they did dominate as expected, but uh, they couldn't get the goal. Uh, but right as we, I was starting to think, you know, this might go into overtime. There's about 15 minutes, you know, left or something. They finally get the goal. Uh, it started with a nice back heel by Batelli, uh, to Silva in the box. His shot was blocked, uh, but the ball dropped into the path of Torre. Yaya Torre, who blasted it in the back of the net, and Stoke showed a little bit of life in the final few minutes and actually had the ball in, uh, City's area in stoppage time, which is a little dicey, but, uh, they couldn't score, and that's the way it finished, and, uh, you know, on the bottom line, it's a predictable result. Uh, you know, the big thing is it's City's first trophy in 35 years, and, and I wasn't quite, you know, I, I actually watched that Blue Moon, Moon Rising documentary after I saw this game. I wish I'd done it the other way around. Um, but basically, you know, when you when you follow these rabid fans, you know, through the the agony of of defeat, you know, and and and, and suffering and loss and, and struggles and and you know the highs of you're like we almost we oh we lost oh we're good oh you know and and you follow these fans then when you get to watch something like this game here you realize these fans are going nuts you know it doesn't matter if this is a 1-0 result it doesn't matter what it, if they could win on penalty it doesn't matter it's a trophy in their case for the first time in 35 years most of these fans that's the 35 years most of the fans a lot of fans are under 35 they've never seen the team win anything and now they finally have so Congrats to City. Uh, you know, I wasn't that impressed with how they did it in this particular game, but watching that documentary after I saw this, I was going, that really is. I can see where we're, you know, as a neutral, somebody, you know, thousands of miles away, it's like, yeah, whatever. But I'm not that into it, but I can see where these fans, this is this is huge. This is really, really big. And this sets the, the tone and the expectations for Man City for years to come. They're, you know, this is just the beginning. So uh, congrats to them. And, uh, you know, pretty cool. So, anyway, let's talk about the EPL since we're on the topic. And, uh, had a midweek game last week, which was Man City Tottenham. Um, and, and this was actually an interesting game. Again, I wish I'd seen this after I saw the Blue Rune Rising because basically a year ago, the, the, the climax of that film, Blue Moon Rising, is one of the final games of the season when City, and, and the way they do that documentary, they're building it up, you know, each game gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and they get to the end of the of the documentary, and their biggest game of the season, which is against Tottenham, um, and basically, if City wins that game, they will finish high enough in the table that they will get Champions League football, and that's just huge, right? Millions of dollars, exposure, they're going to be playing Barcelona, and these fans are talking about this going, we're going to be playing Barcelona, Real Madrid. This would be incredible to have, you know, Barcelona and Real Madrid come to our stadium and play here. You know, teams of that caliber could this could happen. And so they get in the game and who scores the goal? Crouch scores the goal for Tottenham and they lose. 
Tottenham loses. I mean, sorry, Man City loses. Um, and they finish, they don't get in the Champions League. You know, and it's just this crushing blow and defeat and all this, and the fans are just, crush, you know, just, 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 this is a horrible experience for them. And, you know, I was, I, I vaguely remember that from a year ago, that experience, but again, I wasn't, I'm not that big of a city fan, it was like, eh, whatever, and, you know, but when you follow, when you realize these people who have just been, you know, living through the suffering times for this team for, for years and years, and now all of a sudden, they get to this one chance to, to, to maybe, you know, get something good happen to their team to get to Champions League, and then they miss out by one little goal by, by Peter Crouch. Well, this year, same situation again. This was last week, midweek, Man City versus Tottenham. Man City needs to win to get Champions League. What happens? Crouch scores again. However, this time, Crouch scores in the wrong goal. Yes, a Crouch own goal is the only goal in this match. Guarantee that the win means that uh, City will be in Champions League uh, next season. And uh, I didn't think Spurs, you know, even really showed up in this game. It wasn't a very exciting game. Um, but uh, when you put it in, in into that kind of perspective, this game is much more interesting. And uh, at the time, I was like, eh, I didn't even write much about the game because I didn't find it very interesting. Uh, boring 1-0 result, you know, by an own goal. Uh, you know, and the own goal is pretty early in the game too. So. You know, but uh, once once I saw that documentary and was remembering how that happened last year and and just the the impact of that, this was obviously huge. This was obviously huge. So uh, let's see. Other biggest game, of course, of the weekend was the Blackburn Manchester United game. Uh, when United hit the crossbar, remember all United need is a draw on this one to win the whole league. So they hit the crossbar three minutes in. I thought, you know, ah, this is going to be great. They're gonna they're go- definitely going for the win. They're not going to play for the draw. Uh, but then the game went on and on without them scoring, and you know, kind of started getting kind of troubling. And then uh, Vandersar was rested. They had Kuchek in goal, and he just looked a bundle of nerves. Kept you know dropping the ball and doing various things. He get it got into a mix-up with his defender once, and there was another time when the ball was like right there in front of him, and he just like stood there stared at it, and it took him like three seconds to like move and clear it. I don't know what he was doing. He was just like, and the and the defender, the offensive guy from the other team, you know, from Blackburn, is like bearing down on him, and he's just standing there, standing. He's not moving. And it's like finally he goes and kicks it, and it's like, what is he doing? He's like, he didn't realize that the player. I don't know what was going on. It, he was definitely made me nervous. But uh, uh, then then uh, Blackburn actually scored. It was you know out of very real, very little really. I think it was. Not exactly a counterattack, but it was, you know, a simple ball from the end line, crossed to an open Brett Everton on the other side, and he took it nicely and kind of put it opposite the keeper, you know. So uh, once Blackburn scored, and and you know, the way United hadn't really been easily able to dominate, I thought that United would be happy with the draw, which was all they needed to win the league. So I thought, you know, United wasn't playing that well, and and you know they're down a goal, and I thought, okay. They just want to get another goal, and they're gonna, you know, they're gonna make they're gonna go to one one, and and that's exactly what happened, you know. Late on, uh, Hernandez gets tripped uh, by goalkeeper Paul Robinson. The ref awards the penalty. Uh, somewhat controversial, is, you know, the officials took kind of too long to make the decision. Uh, the ball was seemingly going out of play, which I, you know, I understand that kind of debate. Uh, but for me personally, I mean, the keeper caught him. He was clearly tripped. Uh, it's a PK in my book, you know. Um, I, I. I'm not that concerned about where the ball is and whether or not the player can get the ball. And I mean, I mean, I understand. I guess I, I kind of split on that one because uh, I can see certain situations where, you know, the ball's really out of play. You know, you know, a mile away, and you get kicked way at the other end of the 
thing. Is that really a foul? I mean, I, I, you know, penalty? I don't know. But, uh, this particular case, uh, you know, it didn't, it, I, I, I could, I could see some refs where they wouldn't call this. You know, I think, I think most probably would. Uh, still a little gutsy considering the, the stakes and everything in this game, but, uh, at any rate, the bottom line is what we think about it and what we feel doesn't really matter. The ref called the penalty. Rooney converts it, uh, inappropriately it was Wayne Rooney, and, uh, you know, that's, that's the lever, level, leveler that United need. So the last bit of the game was, was kind of boring. United just played keep away the ball in the back four, and Blackburn, they thought that all they needed was a, a draw two, and so they weren't too interested in going for it. They didn't even try to get the ball. I think the last, uh, like the whole three minutes of stoppage time was pretty much played in United's end with the four back line touching it, and I don't think one Blackburn player even went over the halfway line. You know, and they would just let United play out the three minutes. And so it was really boring and dumb, kind of a feeble way to, you know, the whole thing was kind of a feeble way to win it, you know, but, you know, just getting a draw. But United don't care. And, uh, you know, after the arduous EPL season, this was a really up and down season for everybody. You know, I, I really can't say I blame them one bit. Um, you know, maybe they looked a little shaky at times, didn't win quite as much on the road as they should have, but the bottom line is, United finished top, and that's all that matters. They win the premiership with this draw. So, huge, huge, huge. So, um, all right. Then we had, uh, let's see, Sunderland uh, Wolves. Wolves are desperate for a win to stay out of relegation, but Sunderland dominate the first 20 minutes, and they fail to clear on a Wolves corner kick. Wolves uh, keep possession. Eventually, Hence Cross finds Jody Craddock at the other side, and his volley gets past the keeper. Sunderland resume their pressure, uh, creating several chances and equalizing off a Zenden corner kick that... Uh, since uh, Sensingdon uh, drives home in the 35th, but early in the second half, uh, Jarvis finds Fletcher in the box, and the header, his header puts Wolves in front. Wolves don't uh, let up, and in the 78th, uh, Ilakobi uh, heads in a free kick that uh, wraps up the match. Uh, they have to sweat through some Sutherland threats, uh, you know, but hold on for the huge win, and uh, they end up tied with Blackburn on 40 points, just one point above relegation. So Sunderland 1, Wolves 3. We had West Brom Everton. The goal comes early, just 10 minutes in, when Odomwengi, uh fights through the back line and finds Malumbu in front of the box for the redirect. Uh, Tim Howard made a great tip-over save in the 16th, but oddly the ref didn't give the corner kick. Uh, Carson at the other end is forced to do some work after that, but then Tony Hibbert makes a fantastic goal line clearance, acting as a backup to Tim Howard uh, after Thomas rounded him and put him in the put in the shot. Uh, Howard was kind of injured on the play. It looked like he hurt his left hand or wrist in the dive. Must have been okay, though, because he makes a great save with that hand a moment later. In the second half, Everton aren't making much, uh, making much progress as uh, Blackburn hold firm, so they put in uh, Billy Etinoff. He promptly goes in for a rash tackle, gets himself a straight red. Ouch. So his season is done. Uh, that's all uh, West Brom uh, um, needed, as Everton couldn't get the equalizer. West Brom won Everton nil. We had Chelsea, Newcastle, just 90 seconds in. Chelsea score off of a corner kick uh, that Ivanov... Um, Ivanovic uh, knees in, kind of uses his knee to get in. But uh, in the 10th, Taylor's free kick from above the box hits Gutierrez, deflects in to equalize. Nothing more in the half, though uh, Newcastle's keeper was the busier. After the break, hard tackles and yellow cards seem to be the order of the day. A draw is seemingly likely, but with eight to go, the keeper comes out for a ball, doesn't get it, and Alex heads it in for the Chelsea lead. You're thinking eight minutes to go. It's got to be over, right? But Newcastle continue to press and get a corner kick in stoppage time. That Steven Taylor heads in for the upset draw. And Chelsea 2, Newcastle 2. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, Liverpool, Tottenham. Liverpool's been on a streak lately, but not in this game. Spurs lead with nine, in the ninth with, via Vandervaart volley. When the ball is cleared to him off of a corner kick, uh, sort of trades out of the box, and he volleys it in. 
over the keeper. Uh, Liverpool respond with a boatload of chances, but Spurs manage to clear everything. Ten minutes into the second half, uh, Pinar gets bumped. The ref says penalty. Uh, questionable, but Modric uh, takes the gift, and Spurs lead by two. Liverpool have chances, but Spurs defend well. Uh, with five minutes to go, Sandro gets upended along the sideline, uh, ends up in the laps of several spectators, uh, which was very interesting. I mean, his cleats were hitting people in the head and stuff, and... You know, kind of wild, but uh, I don't think anybody was hurt. So, uh, Spurs hold on for the huge win as uh, both teams are fighting to get into Europe, and now they have the upper hand going into the final game next week. So, huge, huge result there. So, uh, Liverpool nil, Tottenham two. Then we had a game happen today on Tuesday as I'm recording this podcast just a few minutes ago. Um, I uh, was kind of late getting going on this, and so finally I decided. You know, by the time I was going to do this, it was this afternoon, and then the game was on. I said, well, I'll, I'll watch this game. So it was uh, Man City versus Stoke again. Yes, a, a repeat of the FA Cup final, uh, but this time the two are facing off in league play. So uh, I enjoyed this game far more than the, the tight final, though the outcome was the same, and uh, pretty much. And uh, Stoke were invisible, kind of. Uh, Tevez starts things off brilliantly with a, with a brilliant dribbling expedi- expedition. Uh, exhibition in the box, and uh, just a nice curler to the far post. Then in the second half, uh, Richards does a beautiful swan dive to earn a free kick. Uh, no contact on him at all, but it sure looked convincing. Uh, I thought in live play that you know it was a horrible tackle, but when you watched it in replay, the guy sticks out his foot and he slides in, and Richards just jumps over him, no contact at all, and just you know does this swan dive under the car under the grass there and. Uh, um, you know, it looked, I'm sure the ref thought it was a, you know, gave the free kick. But uh, off that free kick, Lescott heads it in. And uh, then another free kick gives Tevez the chance to shoot directly on goal. He rockets it in the top corner. Just an amazing goal. And uh, my main thought on this one was, why didn't they play like this on Saturday? So, uh, anyway, Man City 3, Stoke 0. And, um, you know, that was, that was a much more interesting game. So a better result there. So. All right, that's it for EPL. So let's uh, only one only one more game left. You know, next weekend everything everything comes to end. So we got a whole bunch of teams uh, down relegation, just separated by a point. I think it's going to come down to goal difference for several of these teams. So next week it's going to be just be madness over there. I mean, for all these games, for these some of these 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 lower clubs, uh, you know, desperate, desperate, desperate. So some of them, you know, they're going to have to win not not just win, but win by several goals. You know, to, so they can get that goal difference to change, so that they can, you know. You know, maybe the other team wins also, but only wins by one goal, and they win by two goals, and that's the, the you know that that takes it to the tiebreaker. So there's even a possibility it could get beyond the uh, goal difference into goal scored tiebreaker, which they said has never happened before for teams for relegation, but it could go to that. So it's that tight. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, let's talk Major League Soccer. A lot of games to talk about here. So we had uh, start off with Philly, L.A. This was uh, last Wednesday. We had three games on Wednesday night. So L.A. dominate the first half, getting their goal when Landon's chance, chance is blocked off. Uh, but the ball is left loose. He pounces and puts it away. Philly's keeper is kept the busier of the two, with Ricketts not having to make a real save until I think it was about the 73rd minute. Towards the end of the match, as Philly press and bring on reinfor- reinforcements like Mwanga, the L.A. defense cracks with Franklin making a huge mistake with a casual back pass that Mwanga runs onto and takes toward goal. He rounds Ricketts calmly, then slots it home for the 84th minute equalizer. Just too cool. Philly won, L.A. won. Dallas-Toronto, nothing much happens to the last minute of the first half when the ref blows for a penalty when a long ball is played in the box uh, off the free kick, and George John is dragged down in the scramble. The TFC uh, assistant coach is red-carded for arguing the decision. Daniel Hernandez converts the penalty kick for the Dallas lead. Second half is more of the same, though Toronto did look like they might get an equalizer for a while, but they didn't, so... 
Uh, Vancouver, San Jose. This one was all the away team with San Jose getting four good shots, four shots to none in the first half. Uh, Ryan Johnson was excellent for San Jose. The whole team looked pretty good, but, uh, goalkeeper Nolly for Vancouver made a number of good saves to keep them out. In the second half, though, the goal finally comes during a long sequence of extended pressure for the Quakes as they possess the ball in the Whitecaps half and stretch the defense. A long shot forced Nolly rebound on a good save, and then Johnson struck the ball back into the center where Wando Definitely redirected it in at the near post. A terrific goal. Uh, sure looked like San Jose was taking home all the points, but in the first few seconds of stoppage time, a long cross into the box has several players diving to head it, but no one makes any contact. The ball just slips through everyone and into the back of the net. So it's straight in off the free kick, basically. Uh, just a shocking, shocking lapse. And uh, Vancouver stole two points on this one. So uh, Vancouver won, San Jose won. We had uh, Toronto-Chicago. Uh, the fire go down early in this one, as in the ninth. Uh, Plata dribbles right up the middle of the park, isn't stopped, puts in a nice curler that finds the far corner. Uh, beautiful goal. Uh, I didn't realize I saw something else about Plata. They were talking about he's like 5'3". He's really a tiny guy. That's pretty cool. I like that. I love tiny guys. I'm short myself, so not quite that small, but I'm 5'8". But, uh, nothing much happens the rest of the half, though Oduro gets a chance. Uh, he puts it uh, right on the keeper late. Uh, but just a minute in the second half, just disaster for Chicago. Santos tries a 35-yarder that somehow goes right through goalkeeper John Conway. It's a wicked dipping ball. Uh, kind of bounces, you know, right as it reaches him, but still, you know, that one has to go down to keeper error, goalkeeper error. Uh, but a moment later, a nice run up the left wing by Bone. He puts in a shot uh, on frame at the top of the near post. Fry makes a save. And now we're in. Toronto uh, almost screw up when a defender flubs a clear in the box, but before the fire can take advantage, other defenders uh, got the ball clear. A few minutes later, Chicago earn a free kick right at the top of the D, and Marco Papa lifts it up over the wall and uh, in off the underside of the crossbar. Just gorgeous. Conway's forced to do a little work after that as Toronto pressure, but with 15 to go, they fail to clear the ball in the box. Bone gets it, crosses from the right. Frey gets, Frey gets a hand to it, but it's not enough to block it, and Baruch is there to push it over the line, and we are level. Amazing. Uh, interesting, I thought the fi- I thought the fire seemed dead and buried, you know, after going down by two, but they came back, so pretty impressive. Uh, both teams battle, but Palladini uh, should have had the winner when he got a 1v1 uh, on a through ball from Bone, but uh, Fry was somehow able to slap the chip out of the air. Uh, very impressive save uh, away for a corner kick that nothing happened off of. And uh, I thought, you know, Bone looked really good for, for, for Chicago. He was very involved, and uh, yeah, impressive to come back from two down. I mean, that was amazing, but Toronto, the defense needs work. I'm sorry. But uh, Toronto 2, Chicago 2. Dallas-Philly, Dallas-Break through in the 30th when Castillo gets right through on the right, squares it to Breck Shea, who taps it in. Uh, they continue to pressure, and this time it's Castillo who heads home from the heart of the goal uh, on a cross from Jackson. It's the first time the Union have given up two in a match all season. Uh, they haven't scored more than once either, so this one did not look good for them. Uh, Philly make two chances at the half, always a sign the coach isn't happy, but it makes a little difference as Dallas have too much of a lead, and Philly are still struggling offensively. I think they're really struggling. I think they're the worst team in the league offensively, and uh, very few goals. And that's the way that one finishes Dallas 2, Philly nil. Uh, RSL Houston. Uh, RSL's first game without Morales. Uh, nice to see all the get well banners. And, uh, they begin with the early pressure that requires Houston keeper Tally Hall to be sharp, and he is. And then Houston attack with Jad Davis threatening from the left, forcing a, forcing a punch by Romando. 
But neither team really presses all that much in the first half. Uh, just a few chances. Uh, the second half is much better with both teams getting a number of quality chances. Houston dominated for long stretches, created a number of good chances on goal. Uh, RSL looked extremely dangerous when they counterattacked. Uh, Houston forced a terrific save out of Romando in the 88th. Uh, RSL's Andy Williams put a shot just wide in stoppage time. In the end, Houston's happy with the draw on the road, and RSL's disappointed. Um, RSL nil, Houston nil, but at least RSL's home unbeaten record uh, is extended to 29 games over two years since they've lost a match at home. So, uh, Seattle-Portland, uh, pretty good match, at least for the first half. Uh, at least the second half, I mean. Uh, great atmosphere, terrific result for Portland. I thought Portland had a decent first half, getting several shots on goal, outplaying Seattle for the most part, though Seattle's chances were perhaps more dangerous. Uh, but the second half was definitely more competitive. As in the first minute, Eric Bruner did a brilliant out-of-the-air clearance of a ball that was floating towards Nate Jaquin in the box. Uh, a moment later, he basically literally took it off Nate Jaquin's foot. Just cleared it, you know, away. So a moment later, though, disasters. Two Portland defenders both went for the same ball that Montero was leaping for, uh, leaving Fernandez wide open on the far side. He received Montero's flick because he still got the ball, even though with two guys on him, and uh, put it past Perkins. It was near post goal. I thought Perkins, you know, might have done better with, but it was, you know, 1v1. There's not much you can do about that. So the goal inspired Seattle as Montero had a good shot. Perkins blocked. But then Portland started to play finally, and Perlaza flicked the ball across the face of the goal with Keller out of his box, but no teammate was there to put it away. Then in the 65th, an exact repeat of last week's goal, as Jewsbury, with a free kick a mile out, put the ball in the box, and Danso headed it in when he got to the ball before Keller. Yes, uh, Foody Danso strikes again. A moment later, there was a dangerous... Um, uh, let's see, a dangerous moment uh, when Keller and his defender kind of confused each other and uh, nearly left an open ball in the box for Kenny Cooper, but uh, did get it cleared out. And the last 20 minutes was good for both teams, as, you know, each had chances, played pretty well. Timbers were definitely playing with a lot more intensity after going down a goal, and even after equalizing, they were still trying to score the winner, which I thought was very impressive, you know, to be away and, and uh, with their defensive record to... Uh, uh, you know, still be trying to win. So uh, Seattle really went for it in the final few minutes and stoppage time, but Portland held on for the big point on the road. Very impressive. I think the Timbers are going, uh, we're kind of going for a nil-nil in the first half. I think that was their strategy, but uh, coming from a goal down in a, to draw in a hostile place like Seattle is, is damn good. And, and uh, uh, one interesting comment, I did see a comment by uh, Coach John Spencer for, 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 Seattle, for Portland who said that, uh, and I thought this was a very telling comment, because he said he was only worried about the result for about six or seven minutes in this match. So the rest of the time he thought Portland was in control, which tells you a huge amount that we can go to Seattle and feel comfortable and in control. So um, good result for Portland. Uh, not so good for uh, Seattle, but uh, still a fun match. And it was great to see the atmosphere and uh, this rivalry, you know, uh, nationwide audience on ESPN and everything, ESPN2. And all that kind of stuff. You know, so great stuff, great stuff. So uh, we'll see, uh, you know, so point each uh, in the 1-1 draw for Seattle and Portland. So uh, let's see. L.A., Kansas City. L.A. dominate chances, but KC take the lead when a dangerous ball gets into the box. Defender Omar Gonzalez gets a foot on it, only to see it go into his own net. So uh, KC start off good, getting a, getting a goal. But then just before the end of the half, uh, Beckham is hammered in the box. The ref awards a penalty. Landon converts for his sixth goal in six matches uh, then early in the second half, uh, LA apparently scored the replay. Uh, I was a, aired a, uh, recorded a replay of this game, and it was said it was edited out for due to time constraints, which is bizarre. Um, I don't understand why you would edit out a goal, but uh, uh, he's uh, apparently Landon scored it 
and they, at the end of the game, they were kind of recapping, and, and Landon scored it. So, uh, uh, Kansas City had a wonderful 1v1, but put the ball wide. Then Angel finally got his goal uh, via 1v1 off of his zone, off of a Barrett-headed uh, through ball. And as the game winds down, Beckham scores a ridiculous free kick uh, from way out on the left. Uh, Landon should have added one more on the uh, stoppage time, but he was too cute trying to get around the keeper, and Kansas City managed to clear it. So this one finished LA 4, Kansas City 1, and I guarantee you that Beckham free kick will be goal of the week. So put that in your in your uh, wallet and take it to the bank. Uh, let's see. New England, uh, Vancouver, uh, good early chance, uh, header chance for Filehyber, but blocked. Right at the end of the half, a dangerous opportunity when Vancouver defender heads away across from his own keeper, but it worked out fine, but could have been a problem. On the resulting goal kick, uh, Nolly boots it long, gets to Salgado above the box, and though he's got a defender draped all over him, he managed to get off a side shot that uh, forces a terrific one-handed save by Reese, who wasn't expecting the shot. So, uh, after the break, the Revs get the ball in the box off a throw-in, and Filehyber controls it. Um, and he's tripped, and so uh, it happens just like five steps to the referee. There's no question it's a penalty. Charlie Joseph takes it, uh, puts it deep into the side netting, and the Revs lead. The goal, which uh, breaks a long scoring drought uh, for New England, uh, gives New England confidence. They play better and attack more. Uh, they should have had another one foul, however, beat the offside trap, chips the keeper beautifully, uh, but the officials incorrectly called the play offside. It was a different player offside, and he had nothing to do with the play. He was way over on the wing, and uh, I don't know why they called offside. It was a bad call. So um, Around the hour mark, Vancouver uh, starts to gain some possession, enforcing fouls by New England. Uh, Reese has to make an awkward save on a seemingly tame header that was sneaking in at the far post, uh, but New England survives. Counters with Nyasi getting a solid shot on frame that Nolly just tips around the post. In the 88th, uh, Rice, uh, Matt Reese captures a volley that was put right at him. And in the end, it's a fairly comfortable victory for New England. Uh, uh, so New England won uh, Vancouver nil. Uh, DC, uh, New uh, nah, this can't be. Uh, I have New England here. Uh, why do I have New England? It's Colorado. That's weird. My note says <laughs> DC, uh, <laughs> New England, and that doesn't make sense because it's Colorado. So uh, 23 minutes in, uh, a free kick's played into the DC box. Uh, where it pings around, Drew Moore slides into it to put it over the line, and the Rapids lead. Uh, nothing too much uh, until first half stoppage time when Dak McCarthy's tripped on a breakaway. He's furious. The ref doesn't give uh, Laurentowitz a, a red, only a yellow, as it was kind of a last-man situation. But, you know, it's pretty far out, so I don't know. Uh, more ref controversies. Only in the second half, Laurentowitz uh, clearly fouls Nguyenia from behind in the box, and even though the Colorado commentators said it should have been a penalty, the ref doesn't call it. So five minutes later, though, the ref makes up for it by bizarrely calling a shoulder-to-shoulder charge at the edge of the box a penalty. Uh, it was Pontius, and he takes the penalty. He takes the penalty and equalizes. Uh, both teams had a, a chance in stoppage time, so this could have gone either direction. But in the end, they split the points. It's probably fair. So uh, uh, DC had a, a, a legitimate penalty not called, and then they had a non-legitimate penalty called. So uh, it works out. So anyway, DC won, Colorado won. So. Then we had uh, New York uh, Chivas game. Uh, I really like this game. Uh, lots of goals. <laughs> After a 30-minute delay, apparently due to a stadium power outage, I recorded the replay so I didn't have to endure the delay. But uh, I thought the power outage thing was just a Home Depot thing. But apparently it happens in the uh, new stadium in New York, too. So, or New, new Jersey, wherever it is. Uh, so just six minutes in, Justin Bronze runs a cut stop of the box and puts in a shot to the far post that beats Condul and Chivas lead. For the next few minutes, it's shockingly all Chivas as New York has just run ragged. But uh, Chivas don't 
don't get another in that stretch, and then with New York counter off a long ball off the back line to Henri, he takes his chance and buries the equalizer. But Chivas quickly say, not so fast, and score a second. When uh, New York's lackluster defending fails to clear a ball near the end line, Braun reacts the quickest to just toe-poke it right through the legs of Condul for the go-ahead goal. Just past the half hour, though, New York get a generous call in the box when uh, Luke Rogers gets a little contact, goes down. He looked to me like he was going down early, but it was some contact, so whatever. Uh, on, since Henri and Marquez have both missed penalties, it's De Rosario's turn, and he makes no mistake, finally getting his first for the new club, and we're level at 2-2. New York dominate the last of the half in the early part of the second, but ten minutes in the second half, uh, Simon Elliott's free kick is played in the box, and an unmarked Moreno heads it on goal, hits the post, comes out from behind Condul, because he'd stepped off his line, so it goes behind him, where Bronze right there just to tap it home for his hat trick. Uh, amazing. Chivas have led three times away from home, yes, and uh, Buna had to make an important save on the hour, while later Rogers uh, trails the back line, puts in a popped-over ball uh, uh, with a bicycle kick, but he was clearly offside, so no goal for New York on that one. Uh, Red Bulls threaten through stoppage, nearly have a chance with a loose ball in the final seconds, but uh, Chivas goalkeeper Dan Kennedy does just enough to stop the play, and uh, Chivas just get a huge road win. So New York 2, Chivas 3. And a game I didn't see. I tried to record it, but it said it was blocked out. I have no idea why. Uh, I heard San Jose beat Columbus 3-0, which was, wow, impressive. So I heard that uh, Stephen Lennart scored one. I think Wando scored one also. So good to see that uh, 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 San Jose's playing a little bit better. So good. So anyway, that's it for this one. This has gone on very long. Sorry about that, but we had a lot to talk about. So uh, we'll be back next week on the 23rd. As always, uh, email marketsoccertalkusa.com if you have some feedback. And the phone number, if you want to leave a voice message, is 206-339-8359. And we'll uh, see you next week. All right, bye-bye. <laughs>